I've been scammed, yes, uh, I have. And, and that's how happened? I learned not to trust anyone. I was buying, or I wanted to buy these fancy battleships, and I had a, uh, a friend in a, another corporation, and it was one of his pilots in his corporation that said, like, oh, I can get you a good deal. It's cost this and this much. And I was like, well, he's in the same corporation as like my friend, so it should be okay. Well, he wouldn't have any reason to like screw me over. He was like, yeah, I can buy it, uh, but I need the money now, and then I'll go fetch the ship for you. Okay, sure, here, here's the money. And he was like, yeah, I'm on my way to pick up the ship now. After a while, he was like, yeah, I got a, like, a deal for another one at the same price if you want, like, two. I was like, yeah, sure thing. Send him some more money. And uh, then it's kind of like, yeah, I'm already I'm getting it. And I was starting to get a little bit impatient because it's like, it usually shouldn't take this long to go to where you were uh, supposed to go to pick them up. And then um, uh, obviously he uh, just uh, closed the conversation and then I couldn't contact him again. I was like, ah, oh, he just stole my money. And uh, that was a lot of money. But I spoke to my friend and they actually managed to convince him to send the money back or they would kick him out of the corporation. So he, he did actually send the money back and then they killed him and kicked him from the corporation. But you learnt your lesson. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, okay, so yeah. I'm not going to trust anyone regardless if I think they're okay or not. Welcome to Think Digital Futures, the show that tells stories from the digital age. I'm your host, Lawrence Bull. The guy who got scammed at the start of the show, that was Kriba. I'm Kriba, Kerber extraordinaire. Kriba lives in a world without banks. I don't think the, the banks or anyone actually running a, a bank service uh, is going to last at all. So far... Like I said, there's only been one that, that, that is still around and hasn't just uh, stolen all the money in, in the end. But at the same time, I don't think they have that many customers. And this is Harry. So I'm an associate professor in finance at UTS. Harry lives in a world with thousands of banks, dozens of which pull in more money than most countries. Over the years, the number of banks have uh, become sm uh, smaller and smaller, but the size of the surviving banks has become much bigger. And Harry thinks banks in his world provide a pretty good service. I think we have a, a very good financial system and I think it will become even better in the future. Unlike Harry, Kriba has zero faith in banks. Banks is just a scam. In the post-global financial crisis world, I think most of us have a little Harry on one shoulder. Better off, better off. Very good financial system. And a little Kriba on the other shoulder. Scam, scam. But what if they could both get what they want? A system in which you can borrow and lend with total confidence that you won't lose your money or get scammed, with better interest rates for both borrowers and lenders. In short, now that we have the internet, could we just cut out the middlemen and get rid of banks? Don't worry, we're not about to get knee-deep into interest rates, credit derivatives, asset securitization, or margin derivative loan options. We couldn't, even if we wanted to. That last one, it's not even a real thing. I just made that up. This story is about something far more fundamental to finance than any of those things. You could say it's the only real currency that there is. And no, it's not gold. It's trust. I totally agree. Um, 
there are different dimensions to what drives financial markets, but financial markets, and this is the definition of credit risk, are mainly centered around trust. There's people that I, I trust to the extent that I don't think they would do something bad, but at the same time, it's like, they're not me, so I can't control them. And while the, the risk probably would be very small, there is still a, a tiny, tiny risk, which makes me like, no, I'm not going to want to put myself in that situation, regardless of how small the, the risk is. Kriber trusts almost nobody. But Harry, he's the opposite. On 100 mortgage borrowers, there's always between um, none and one person <laughs> who is, who, who's not to be trusted. Harry trusts more than 99% of people to pay back their mortgages. Clearly, these two guys live in very different worlds. Harry lives in a world with a lot of trust and a lot of banking. Kriber lives in a world with scarce trust and almost no banking. Harry, as you might have guessed, lives in our world. Big banks, lots of lending, borrowing, interest. Kriber's world is totally contained in a single refrigerated room in Iceland. It's a 44-acre data centre. A computer game that can uh, really uh, suck you in and uh, you can spend way too much time playing it. It's like a big sandbox. You you build everything, you create everything. Uh, there's no really any storyline that you follow. And everything that uh, happens and gets created is done by players. So it is similar to, to real life in, in that sense. You can do whatever you want and aim for whatever you want. And it's up to you to actually make that happen. The game's called EVE Online, and it's all based on one computer server, which means tens of thousands of people from around the world play in the one virtual universe. And it's what's called a sandbox, which means the players build the world that they inhabit. But just because it's a sandbox doesn't mean it's in a playground. A recent book about the game stated... The real charm lies deep in the back of the sandbox, where players are melting the sand into glass shards and stabbing each other in the eyes. That's from the book Internet Spaceships Are Serious Business. So what makes EVE Online unique is that within the game you have total freedom. The players and developers have built an interstellar society with a complex economy, with no rules. Oh, no. <laughs> CCP introduced like the biggest ships in the game, the Titans and the supercarriers. Those uh, needed to be traded. People in general didn't trust each other back then, and a few of my friends wanted to buy these ships, and they asked me if I like could hold the, the money while they were buying the ship to make sure that they weren't getting scammed or anything like that. Uh, and that's kind of how it, how me as being a broker really took off because I, I felt like, oh, maybe this is something that I could do for others as well. From there, it just uh, kept on growing, growing, and to uh, today when people generally call me the most trusted guy in the game. There's nothing regulating these transactions, is there? No, there, there's not. Is that part of the attraction of the game? For, for a lot of people, yes, absolutely it is. No real rules. Uh, I think that's appealing to a lot of people because you can actually play the bad guy and be the bad guy and get away with it. 
sort of, and it's, it's up to the players in that case to take actions or punish the, the people that are doing the bad things. It puts a whole different perspective. You're not being like taken care of in the same way by the game developers. But of course, sometimes that uh, kind of feels uh, harsh, especially for uh, new players. I would uh, think that they're starting out and they they might have come from uh, World of Warcraft. If you get uh, scammed there, you get your stuff back. Or if someone steals something, you get it back pretty easily. Uh, and they they might come to to Eve with that sort of mindset, and the first thing that happens is that someone managed to trick them out of all their hard-earned money. Do you think trust is really sort of a fundamental glue of the game? It plays a, a major part of the game, uh, which is also why actually trust is one of the hardest things to actually obtain. If most people don't use a bank, how do they fund large projects? Mining or producing uh, items and stuff like that. If they have something as collateral, they can probably get a loan. Uh, but I think the most people are actually bonding together to buy stuff. There's very few, uh, from what I've seen, uh, like sort of solo player, uh, solo players that actually buy uh, big, th- big expensive things. It's usually. Uh, smaller corporations of uh, 10, 15 people or bigger alliances that buy the really big stuff. There is a huge difference between the EVE financial system and the global financial system. In the real world, whether you want a house or a skyscraper, if you don't have enough money, you borrow money from the bank. In EVE, if you want a spaceship that costs more than you have, you pool your money with other players. Pooling your money means you have to have a lot of faith in other people and risk getting ripped off. But the real-world system isn't ideal either. Sure, getting a loan is probably quicker, safer, and easier to organise than a money pool, but you have to pay interest. Sometimes a lot of interest. In fact, by the time most Australians have paid off their mortgage, they've paid double or even triple the price of the house. That said, borrowing money is generally a better deal now than ever before. Today's banks are more efficient and they are levying a much lower um, margin to the society, to the consumers, than we did 50 years ago. With that, consumers are better off. However, as you say, and you used exactly the right word, in doing that, banks are only able to do that because they have created something, what you call a system. And, and, and that is the important aspect. Banks have created a huge system in which they are able basically to... Um, pass on some of the risks that they are taking to other parts of the society. And what they are doing is they're engaging with other players in the market, insurance companies, pension funds, in sharing the risks that they are taking. And also they are playing a, a game in which they have increased their, um, call it their scale. And by the combination of the two, the scale and, and the risk sharing of the financial markets, they're able to offer us uh, the services at a much lower costs. But the drawback, as you clearly pointed out, is that we have created a system. And what if that system fails? In 2009, Eve's largest bank fell apart after the CEO, a 27-year-old Australian tech worker, embezzled 200 billion interstellar credits and sold them outside the game for about 5,000 US dollars. He said he felt bad about it, but he wanted to pay off his mortgage in the real world. It was another like uh, nail in the coffin of banks in Eve 
aren't there to actually be banks. They are there as a mean to to scam in the end. I can't really recall there's being a, a new bank since then that has actually been successful. Did that cause any kind of financial crash? What What were the ripple effects of that? There wasn't really anything uh, that happened beyond the the people that had invested in the bank. They lost uh, their money, pretty much. Uh, beyond that, it wasn't like that. The market didn't uh, sway or like wasn't anything happening outside that. So I don't think that the ripple effects were that big, actually. In EVE, players are used to banks failing, and people have just learned to deal with it. It might affect people that suddenly some things becomes more expensive, but uh, I've never heard of it being manipulated in such a way that someone actually like lost everything. I, I've been trying and trying to like play the market to to earn money, uh, and I I failed hard a couple of times, but it's, at the same time it's never been like I've never been at risk in the sense of someone else doing something to the market that makes me lose everything in terms of trying to uh, manipulate the market. Other things, yeah, that could probably cause uh, a dip uh, for a bit, but I I think from what we've seen so far, most of the time it does correct itself fairly quick, in in my opinion. You could crash the market. That's something that I've done myself for fun, but Mm -hmm. it, it usually it recovers. Kribber is a very wealthy player, and he used his wealth to buy huge amounts of a rare mineral called Zydrine, which is used to produce armor and shields. Just kept on lowering the price, undercutting everyone, but it was only for uh, a couple of days, and then it took like a week, and then everything was back to normal again. Everything in EVE bounces back to normal, but in the real world, it can get much, much worse. The problem in the real world is that because we're all borrowing and lending such huge amounts of money to each other, a single crash could cause a domino effect that brings down one bank, then another and another, and then plenty of businesses, jobs, and even governments along the way. Some may argue we have seen a system failure in the global financial crisis in the years uh, 2008, 9, and 10. Um, Others may argue, at least for the case of Australia, that our system has prevailed there are different views on that, but I would say, generally speaking, and this is now where we also have to be mindful in banking, but also other areas, uh, humans are creating more and more of a system. Now, um, this system has many, many, um, many uh, pictures. Uh, today, the use of uh, mobile technology is just a generation of a system. Uh, we are combining the telephone systems of many, many different areas. Uh, the um, trade agreements between countries are in essence, generation of systems. And all these systems have one, exactly the same um, 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 consequences. They, they are able to offer either better services at the same cost or the same services at lower costs. But they're creating what we call systemic risk. And if one of these systems fails today, the consequences on the broader society is usually more severe than had been in the past. So complex banking systems might be more efficient, but they are often so complex that fatal bugs in the system can be very difficult to identify. A big part of Harry's job is building statistical models to monitor these systems. They're basically computer programs that give star ratings to financial products. Junk bonds, 
one star. Government bonds, five stars. If you uh, would have taken uh, our t- models we have built today and, and would have implemented them seven years ago, then you would have uh, uh, predicted the outcome of a cr- global financial crisis much better. And with that, you could have taken steps prior to the crisis to avoid some of the um, losses. The trouble is, would you have been able to do that? And would you have had the information to come up with those very detailed model specifications in the crisis? And the answer is, in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. We needed the happening of a crisis to learn from it. And we did not have that learning experience in 2007. So we can use tech to monitor the banks and help mitigate the risk. But can we use tech to get rid of banks entirely to make an even more efficient system? EVE Online doesn't have a banking system, and it's never had an interstellar financial crisis. But that doesn't make it an appealing system to live under. Fortunately, there are other options. We talk about digital currencies that have been created. Um, take Bitcoin as an example. And they, they may be created and, and compete with our real money. Uh, there's also um, different forms of uh, credit intermediation. Uh, things like peer-to-peer lending, uh, micro-lending uh, coming up. And, and, and also there are a lot of um, the fee, um, widespread use of mobile technologies, new service providers that don't necessarily uh, provide credit or payment systems, but provide some sort of financial advice, um, be it through the telephone or the internet. Um, And and all these um, will um, compete with a traditional uh, banking model, basically with the idea of connecting more individuals uh, outside that system. And I I think that's a, a very valuable idea, That is something one could uh, think of making a business case or of making a strategy for a country. The way where the peer-to-peer lending is going in the way that it is successful, but the volumes are in the billions. Whereas with traditional banking, the volumes are in the trillions. One of many problems is that um, any lending platform requires infrastructure. Infrastructure is costly. And the banks have the advantage uh, they can... Uh, lay the costs for infrastructure expenses on the many, many dollars that they uh, take in deposits and lend to consumers. At the end of the day, the best system would be both cheap and trustworthy. So could technology replace banks? Okay, let me sort of outline a uh, potentially utopian system for a lot of people, other, uh, you know, perhaps anyway, where, you know, a system where, where bankers don't have jobs or jobs as we see them now, where, uh, you know, we we do lend peer-to-peer where there is a secure and inexpensive and efficient system or or many systems set up like that, uh, where we have some kind of encrypted currency like Bitcoin, a global currency, international, and money is able to to flow from any one point to any other um, point in the world at minimal cost. Do you see that as a much less risky environment? Is that much less prone to collapse? Or does it come with potentially its own set of problems? I mean, or is there just no way of knowing what the problems could be? So generally, as uh, human society and technology advances, uh, what happens is we always need less human resources in creating the same services. And uh, machines will do some of it 
that work for us. And that then frees up human resources we can invest and in innovative uh, new areas. Now, the moment that you describe the machines can do everything, that is the moment we're almost in a, in a Terminator environment. <laughs> and that is maybe in parts also a system that can break, as we have seen with the Terminator movie. <laughs> <laughs> with, with that, I think... Um, I'm not I'm not certain that we're in the foreseeable future there will be an environment where humans will be totally redundant. I think at this stage we have not there's efforts there's clear efforts uh, to create something called artificial intelligence. In this area we are not as far ahead as you may think. So currently we create machines and the machines can do basically what we users uh, tell them to do. And in in that environment we always will need humans who have the last word to say and uh, uh, will be able to assess the risks. And in part, we have seen at least a partial system failure in the global financial crisis where possibly risk managers have put an over-reliance on complex models. So what we really have learned from the crisis is that technology is important, but also technology needs to be controlled uh, by humans. Uh, to to, to uh, serve in the best interests of humankind. So we definitely will see technological developments, and uh, but also I believe that, that um, going forward, the humans will still have uh, the last word uh, to say, and with that, an, a very important, play a very important role in the area of banking. Do you think perhaps there could be some kind of more, if not a, a technological re- regulation, a more kind of democratic regulation? Do you think that you know, in a system where there is more fluidity, where there aren't sort of middlemen between lenders and borrowers and that sort mm. of stuff, do you think that there are maybe billions of, of kind of self-regulators in a way that adds some security? Uh, yes and no. Yeah, so so uh, the, uh, we can play with um, different called governance structures. Um, we can uh, build risk models that are governed possibly by different... Different forms in the future. Some of that has been proposed post GFC, and so in 2008, 2009, the um, financial markets were in a big turmoil. They have been people have been very creative and, and um, basically have pushed a lot um, uh, into the public domain, and, and basically, for instance, uh, said uh, well, um, credit and credit dis- intermediation should be organized more like the share markets. Marketplaces, as you suggest, were uh, many, there could be many lenders, then on the other end, uh, many um, borrowers. A lot of these initiatives were very well thought through, but some of them are no longer around. And so there might be reasons for that. Um, It's just credit intermediation and the existence of big financial institutions are there for reasons. Yeah, and, and the reasons are usually because um, the individuals have very high monitoring costs or uh, friction costs. And this is where institutions step in and uh, basically um, can spread these costs over, over many more individuals. But you may not need a big lender. You may need uh, maybe a, a platform, an online platform can do the same job. But then the question is, what is really the difference between the platform and, and the lender? And that is unclear at this stage. Maybe tech will replace banks, 
But what role would the technology play? Efficient democratizer of borrowing and lending? Getting money directly from those who have it to those who need it at the best prices? Every time you or I decide we have some extra cash or we need some extra cash, we essentially open our wallets and establish a little micro-institution. Such a grassroots system with so many players could be unrivaled in terms of stability. Or would the online platform we'd all be using simply become the bank? The world's largest bank. So big that if it fails, it makes the Great Depression look like the time Cribber flooded the interstellar market with cheap Zydrine. What do you see as an ideal future financial system? Like, what would you uh, like us to move towards? Or what do you, you know, when you're daydreaming about your perfect economy and and, and a beautiful sort of technological future where the problems of by and large being mm. solved what does that look I, like i think there's not not one idea that that will be a game changer uh, i think a society can uh, create new products can create new systems but a very uh, key uh, ingredient to to that um is uh, financial literacy and it starts with everybody of us and you would be surprising to see how low that financial literacy is across the general population and I think a big goal should be to raise that. You know, this is in parts what we do at universities. We try to raise the standards in terms of knowledge across broad, not all, but, but broad parts of a society. That is, I think, uh, something we should aim for, creating the basis for innovation. And, and that, that starts with increasing the degree of financial literacy in, in a society. You've been listening to Think Digital Futures, where we tell stories from the digital age. Subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or any other podcasting app. And if you liked any of our episodes and you want more, give us a rating through iTunes. This program is a collaboration between UTS and 2SER. Thanks to our executive producer, Miles Martignoni, and to our research assistants, Sam King and Jake Morecambe. I'm Lawrence Bull. Talk to you next time.